we are beginning we are beginning a new series during this advent season called connections connections with one another as we are in our new family table groups Con connections with our scripture lesson and how it might relate to the christmas characters and of course, connections with God. I love this time of year, like we get to start listening to the Christmas music officially for those of us who didn't cheat and go before Thanksgiving. We get to start singing those songs and we're running around shopping and thinking of other people and going to parties and decorating our houses and all of that fun stuff. It's just exciting because there's family in town, maybe college kids home and maybe other family that are getting ready to come for Christmas and it's all this anticipation and preparation and, well, waiting. So our hope is that each week leading up to Christmas that we will pause just for an hour amidst this busy, busy season and come together and reflect on God's word that we might hear something new that would allow us to connect with each other in a new way, that we might get to encounter those Christmas characters in a new way that we might experience God's presence in a new way. And then ultimately that it might give us deeper understanding, greater joy as we prepare and get ready for that celebration of Christ's birth. Our scripture passage for this week is a fairly familiar story, Daniel and the lion's den. The first half of Daniel has six great stories about Daniel and his companions that are serving foreign kings. And if you look on the front of your bulletin, I looked like, I didn't know this, but we're going to read all kinds of things in Daniel this upcoming week. But on the story today, Babylon has just destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and the Jewish people have been scattered throughout the lands, and many of them are in exile. So Daniel and his three friends, anyone know those three friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they are selected to be the king's very special helpers, and they have three years of training because they were, it says in the Bible, because they were physically perfect and quite handsome. Yeah, great qualifications. But in this story, actually, Daniel has been so successful because of his intelligence and his good health and his positive spirit that the king decided to put Daniel in charge of the whole entire kingdom. As you can imagine, this does not please the Babylonian natives who have leadership positions with the king already. So they have to come up with a plan so they can get rid of this foreigner, making more room for them at the top of the food chain. So I asked Connor if he would come forward and if he would read our scripture passage for us today before he heads back to college. And uh, this is from Daniel 6, verses 6 through 27. Um, Bill Mallet was going to give you a mic, right? Yeah, come on up. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Bill. I know you did your job. Sorry.
Well done, Connor. That was a long passage. Let's pray. Open our hearts and minds, O Lord, so that we might hear the message you intend for each one of us on this first day of Advent. Amen. So I wonder how many of us here would actually be sent to the lion's den. We only have to go 30 days without praying. The king's edict didn't say that you had to pray to the king. He just said if you were doing any praying at all, it had to be to, the, to King Darius. No prayer, no worship of God, just for 30 days and we're safe. So I'm intrigued by this man called Daniel who is so intent on worshiping God and staying connected to God that he continues to pray three times a day with the window open. This praying three times per, per day is mentioned in Psalms 55, verses 16 and 17. I call to God, God will help me. At dusk, dawn, and noon, I sigh. Deep sighs. He hears he rescues. So Daniel prays, even though the punishment is great if he gets caught. He gets caught. The king is duped by his advisors to follow through with his decree that he signed, which means that he has to throw his best man into the hungry lion's den. I would guess that the situation feels hopeless. There is no chance in the world that a human could survive in an enclosed space with hungry lions. Daniel is silent, but the king actually sounds a little bit hopeful when he says, your God to whom you are so loyal is gonna get you out of this. And then the king scurries back to the safety of his palace. And God did what only God can do. God sent an angel to close the mouths of the lion. And Daniel is saved from a horrific death. By the way, in children's ministry, we never talk about that part where the governors and their wives and all their children are ripped to shreds. It actually even kind of surprised me. I'm like, I always skip over that part. Anyway, God's angel saves the day for Daniel. Now, this angel is not to be confused with the vampire named Angel. Do we know who that is? Someone, yeah, I did not know who this was. Yeah, do you know? Excellent, thank you. Hmm. Or should we confuse him with Charlie's angels? Yes, we know that one. Or being touched by an angel. Anyone remember that? That was fun. Or how about Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life? He's a pretty cool angel. Or maybe my favorite angel of all goes way back to Jonathan, the late Michael Landon from Highway to Heaven. So we've been a bit obsessed with angels in our culture today, so I'd like to spend just a few moments to talk about biblical angels because they play such a prominent role in the Christmas story, and I'd like to help us to make better connections to angels. I don't know if you know, but angels are mentioned like 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New Testament. They are spiritual beings created by God who are mighty, holy, and immortal. They don't have to reproduce because they never die. Sometimes they look like people, but often they are radiant like the sun. They belong to heaven, but they can come to earth to serve God by doing his will. They're primarily messengers. Angels in the Bible never ever appear as cute, chubby little children. They are always full-grown adults, 
When people in the Bible saw an angel, their typical response was to fall on their face in fear and awe, which might help explain why often the message from angels is, do not be afraid. At least that's what we experience with the Christmas angels. Sometimes the angels have names, like Gabriel, who is God's chief messenger who only goes to the most important people. Gabriel announced the birth of John to Zechariah in Luke 1. So Zechariah, if you remember, was, the, was a priest, and he drew the short straw and had to be working in the sanctuary while everybody else was outside praying. And while he was in there one day working, working away, an angel showed up at the altar and about scared the poo out of him. And he like, just like, oh my gosh. And the angel said, fear not, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. You and your wife, Elizabeth, who had been righteous people all along, but they were still barren, he said, you're going to have a child. And you're going to name him John. And this is John the Baptist, who is the main person who says Jesus is coming. This is the same John who baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. That's the first angel of the, of the Christmas story. Then Gabriel popped in on Mary one day, and he said, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And then in Matthew, he pops in on Joseph after Joseph realizes that his fiancee is pregnant, but they have not been together in that way. And he says, Joseph, it's okay to take Mary as your wife. She has a child of the Holy Spirit. Because you know in that day, it was within Joseph's right and power to actually have her stoned to death. After Jesus is born, an unnamed angel of the Lord swooped in on the shepherds who were minding their own business, taking care of their sheep, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were, yes, terrified, just like everybody else has been. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior the Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. These angels of the Christmas story are bringing incredible messages from God, but the people can't hear a message, much less act on it if they're terrified. Fear can be literally paralyzing. Can you think of a time when you were so afraid that you could barely breathe? A great example of this uh, power of fear comes from the tiger. When tigers hunt, they have a remarkable capacity for causing their prey to paralyze with fear, a capacity that's way greater than any of the other big cats. As the tiger charges right towards its little prey, it lets out this spine-chilling roar. Now, you think that would be enough. If you heard a, a bit of that, you would take off running as fast as you can. But instead, they're frozen, and then they become tiger food. Well, researchers discovered that when tigers let out their roar, there's these sound waves that hit the ear, they're audible, and they sound terrifying, but it also lets out a sound at a frequency so low that you can't hear it, but you can feel it. So imagine, what do they eat? Oh, anything smaller than them, right? Imagine some little goat, I don't know, are they around goats? Sees the flash of the color of the tiger, hears that scream and then that roar, and then feels the impact of the roar, and they are completely frozen until the tiger can jump on them. 
Well, Daniel is dumped into a den of lions, not tigers. And if he's like you and me, he's terrified, sound wave or no sound wave. But we know that Daniel is rescued by an angel of God. The narrator doesn't tell us if this angel says anything, but I bet the angel whispered, do not be afraid as he shuts the lion's mouths. Angels are superior to humans in both power and wisdom, but angels are not to be worshiped. They too are worshiping our God. When you think of the choirs of angels singing their praises to God, do you hear the hallelujah chorus? Messiah is George Frederick, Frederick Handel's most famous piece of work. It tells the story of Jesus the Messiah Part two of this musical masterpiece talks about his death on the cross and then his resurrection and ascension into heaven. It ends with the hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. One of the first flash mobs that ever happened in the mall was where these unsuspecting shoppers were sitting around in the food court e eating, and then they were treated to a surprise rendition of the Hallelujah Chorus by opera singers and other people in the choir. So let's just watch just a couple of minutes from this clip from 2010. <laughs> and humans are both called to worship and praise God. We don't necessarily have to belt out the hallelujah chorus in a food, food court of a mall, but we could. But why aren't we praising God with our whole lives? This God of the universe who created all things good and who loves us so much that he gave his son so that he could spend eternity with us is calling us by name to sing his praises. And I wonder what keeps us from worshiping God. I would vote for busyness. Sometimes there isn't much time left over for God. I would also add self-centered living. Kind of goes along with that pride thing that it's all about me and I don't really need God so much in my life. And then I think of that all-encompassing category of brokenness of life. You know, the things that hurt 
and aren't fair, like cancer and unfaithfulness and rejection. And this is when we utter a broken hallelujah. You know Leonard Cohen, who wrote the song Hallelujah? It's been recorded by over 100 artists, which might explain why it pops up on my Pandora station like every ninth song. I think it got popular in Shrek. That's when I think I first heard it, and it sort of exploded. Um, well, anyway, you probably heard that Cohen died a couple of weeks ago. He was 82 years old, and he'd been writing music for like 50 years. When he was asked what inspired him to write this song, Hallelujah, he said that he wanted to stand with all of those who could clearly see God's holy and broken world for what it is and still find the courage or the heart to sing praises. So we have to listen to part of this like beautiful rendition by the a cappella group, Pentatonics. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing Shoot somebody who outdrew you. 
Okay, I know that was a lot. I'm sorry. I was like, oh, it is a cold and broken hallelujah. Yet we still can worship God even when life is hard and unfair. Today, we lit the hope candle. During Advent, we do two things. We look back to when the Messiah was born and when God inaugurated his kingdom on earth. And the second thing we do is we look forward in hope to the day when Jesus will come again and rescue his people and save his creation once and for all so that we all can dwell in the presence of the living God. And hope, hope is a game changer. The school system in Chicago had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork during their hospital stays. One day, a teacher who was assigned to that program just received a routine phone call about a child that she was supposed to visit. So she got the boy's name, and she got his room number, and she had a conversation with his homeroom teacher. And the teacher said, if you could just talk to him a little bit about nouns and adverbs so that when he comes back to school, he won't be so far behind. So that afternoon, the teacher walked into the boy's room, and she was shocked. No one had prepared her for what she saw. This little boy was burned over his entire body, and he was in excruciating pain. She stammered out just a few words and said, the school sent me to teach you nouns and adverbs. And after she'd spent a little bit of time with him, she walked away and just shaking her head, thinking how she just blew it. She just didn't do anything good in that call. The next day when she went back, the nurse grabbed her and she said, what did you say to that boy? And she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was just in so much shock when I saw him. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. We have been so worried about this little boy. We couldn't get him to respond to the medicine. We couldn't get him to even look up. But ever since, ever since he met with you, he has a whole new attitude. He's fighting back. It's as though he's decided to live. Well, a couple weeks later, when they talked to the boy about what had been going on since the teacher had visited him, he said, this changed everything for him. And this is how he said it. He said, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy now, would they? Hope is like that. Friends, when we live with hope, a hope of a God who shows up in our darkest hours, through us, between us, and in spite of us, we let the light in. When we acknowledge that death and darkness don't have the final word, we can believe the angels who say to us, do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Messiah, Christ the Lord. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I'd like for us to just ponder one brief writing by Leonard Cohen that you can think about as we um, come forward. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. 
So communion is a little different today, which is a big surprise, right? Because everything we're doing today is different. 